I'll tell you, I think my favorite part of that is Hunter over here with the bandana, full-on outlaw mode <laughs> on the stand-up. <laughs> All right, well, I, I love Johnny Cash. This is one of Johnny Cash's most famous songs. Even if you don't like Johnny Cash, you probably like this song. Now, when you hear that song, I Walk the Line, what you should hear is he behaves. He follows the rules. He's on the straight and narrow, and, and that's good, right? Maybe... Maybe it inspires you. Maybe we should all be walking the line. In that song, the line was a thing to keep you faithful and true and honest. And oh, if only that was our approach to lines and rules. Because what you saw in the video with Becca and the police officer was a different approach to the line, a much more common approach to the line. If Johnny Cash says, I'm going to walk the line, Becca says, where's the line? Becca asks, if I do this, is it really going over the line? Becca asks, how close can I get to the line without going over? And and Becca, wherever you are, I apologize because I keep saying Becca asks, and that's not true. We asked Becca to ask. Becca's a good person. She used to be the chair of our elder board. <laughs> but she represents all of us, right? We all kind of do this. We ask a wrong question when making decisions. Will this decision break a rule? How far can I go without going over the line? And what I'll tell you today is that often when we ask that, it leads to decisions of regret. Um, when I was in college, I went to this pretty conservative Christian school. We had lots of rules there, and one of those rules was a curfew. We had to be back in our dorms by 10 or 11 o'clock on weeknights. I think weekends, it was, it was probably midnight, which when you're in college, that feels real early. And so my friends and I would go out on the weekends, and we'd explore Chicago, and we'd drive wherever we could and have a great time, sometimes me and my friends, sometimes with a date. Well, I was the guy with a car. So it, it, it ended up being me driving wherever we would go, which was fine, but because we had to be back by a certain time, what do you think it did? It, it turned me into an incredibly fast, aggressive driver. <laughs> we would be somewhere, somewhere, we'd be looking at the clock, thinking to ourselves and, and saying to each other, we are 20 minutes from campus, it's 11.20, we should probably leave in 10 minutes, 11.30, that'll give us some buffer. And then 11.30 would come, and we would say, five more minutes. And then 11.35 would come, and we would say five more minutes. And by the time I got in the car, I would be driving like crazy, trying to make up time to get us back in time for curfew. Uh, what we did was we asked, what's the line I can go up to to still be within the rules? Never mind all the rules I broke while driving to get us back for curfew. Well, our lives are full of this kind of thinking. We are wired to live as close to the line as we possibly can. The line between legal and illegal. The line between responsible and irresponsible. The line between like moral-ish and immoral, ethical and unethical. The line between I'm still in control and I need help. And I think being so rules-oriented can lead us to asking the wrong question. How far can I go without going over the line? And I think often that leads us to regret because bad decisions sometimes have nothing to do with whether something is right or wrong. We say this differently. Sometimes bad decisions are bad decisions even if they're legal or within the rules. Okay, I hope you get other things out of today, but if you get nothing else, 
That's worth getting. Would you turn to somebody next to you, look them in the eye and say, sometimes bad decisions are bad decisions even if they're legal? If you're here with your kids, this is a good time to tell them that. Sometimes a bad decision is bad, even if it's right. And today I want to show you a better question. And we find it in scripture. We find it in Ephesians 5 from this guy named Paul. Now, let me tell you about Paul and why he is the perfect guy to give us this better question. Paul had been a Pharisee. Uh, you probably know the Pharisees, these guys that Jesus seemed to often have run-ins with. These were the guys who were all about making sure that everybody else followed the rules. Now, Paul had known and taught the jo Jew Jewish Torah his entire adult life. Later, he became a Jesus follower. And, and here's what you need to know. While his perspective of Jewish law rules changed, like he no longer felt he had to follow the rules to be saved because of Jesus dying for our sins, while his perspective on the law changed, he didn't abandon the moral or the ethical rules, the guidelines that he grew up with. Paul looked at Jesus and saw that Jesus raised the bar rather than lowering it when it came to some rules. So you would think that Paul is going to instruct people, follow the line, walk the line, make sure you don't go over that line, but he doesn't. And the reason is because he knows that sometimes bad decisions are bad, even if they're right. He knows the rules can lead us into the wrong decisions, and he knows there's a better question. So look at what he writes in Ephesians 5. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Not as unwise, but as wise. Would you say that with me? Not as unwise, but as what? It's very different when you have your masks on. <laughs> Not as unwise, but as wise. Look at the next line. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Look at it again. Rather than saying, be very careful then how you live. It doesn't say be very careful then how you live, staying on the right side of the line. Or be very careful then how you live, making sure you follow the rules. Paul says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise people. And right there, Paul introduces the fourth question that you can ask for fewer regrets. Not the wrong question, which is, how far can I go without going over the line? But the maturity question, what is the wise thing to do? See, here's what Paul knew. Just because something doesn't have a thou shalt not added to it, doesn't mean thou shalt that it's foolish to live on the border of what is permissible or legal or acceptable, but not going to get you arrested. Right in front of the line, but not over the line, not a great place to make decisions from. Paul knew regret is not just a product of illegal decisions or immoral decisions or even wrong decisions. Regret is often, and I would even say always, always the product of unwise decisions. The maturity question, what is the wise thing for me to do? Not what's allowable, but what is wise? Um, I was thinking about this with my kids, both of whom are, are teenagers right now. Um, when they were very little, they needed rules. They needed hard, fast, structured rules. Don't ever touch the stove. Don't ever cross the street without holding my hand. At three years old, I didn't want them to think. I just wanted them to do or do not, right? Because at three, you're not developmentally able to think about all the things that could possibly happen if you do something. Sometimes you are, but, but not always. Kids need rules. But as they get older, 
each step along the way, with every passing year, I'm not trying to just teach them rules anymore. I'm trying to teach them wisdom to think, how to think wisely, right? I have one leaving for college in three weeks, and if we did our job right, she's not just following rules when she goes. Yes, hopefully she does that too, but she's also applying wisdom. When we were kids, we needed rules. As adults, we need something better, more complete than just the rules. We need wisdom. As you mature, life is not just about being on the right side of the line. Mature people ask, what is wise? Now, take a look at the passage again. I want to show you something in this that Paul does here. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise. We looked at that. And then he says, if we ask what's wise, this next line, we will make the most of every opportunity. What he's saying there is, I know that you've got regrets, and and often you look at those relationships or those jobs or, or those choices, you look at them as wasted time. Don't you wish that you could go back and, and somehow take back all the time you wasted on unwise decisions, bad decisions? For some of us, those are entire seasons of our lives. We wish we could get that time back so we could spend it on something that would bring life back into us. But Paul says this, don't shame the person, right? He's not shaming you for reading this for your bad decisions in the past, in the time that you've wasted. What he's doing here is he is inviting you and me to invest our time better moving forward. Ask a question, he says, that will help you make the most of your time. Now look at the next line he throws in. He says, do this because the days are evil. All right, time out. Is Paul one of those dudes who sees evil around every corner? Is is he one of those super religious people who's constantly complaining about how the world is going to hell in a handbasket? Not at all. Paul is saying here, you must choose wisely as opposed to just legal or right because the world we live in is not neutral. The world we live in is not neutral. Let's go back to food on the floor. How great would it be if we lived in a world with no germs, no bacteria, no dust, didn't have to wear masks, if every floor was always as clean as the plate that came fresh out of your dishwasher on the hottest, most sanitizing mode, if your floor was neutral, you could eat all the buttered bread off the floor that you would like, but it's not neutral. Your floor is dirty. You know why it's dirty? Because of you. And your family and anybody else who gets near your floor. Okay, how great would it be if you got to make all your decisions in a perfectly neutral, controlled setting where everything goes the way it's supposed to go and everybody else, every person who intersects with your moral decision also acts morally. If everybody chose right, then maybe it wouldn't be the wrong question to ask, how far can I go to get close to the line without going over? But Paul says, you can't ask that. It's not wise. Why? Because the world has quite a few people who are not choosing right. And if you are all about getting as close to the line as you can, the other side of that line might come and grab you, pull you over it, whether you like it or not, because the days are evil. I'm so glad he put that in there. Even if you trust yourself implicitly to not go over the line, wisdom sends you a different direction, sends you to a different decision. Okay, great. Wisdom, wisdom. So I'm supposed to use wisdom. Ask, is this the wise thing? Easier said than done. 
If we left right now and I just gave you that question, the maturity question, what is the wise thing to do, it wouldn't be enough. You know why? Because everyone thinks their decision is wise before they make it. Otherwise, they wouldn't make it. We cannot leave here without answering the question, how do I know ahead of time whether or not something is going to be wise? And I want to give you three quick things to help you decide. In fact, I want to ask you to think of these things as filters. Um, we have one of these reverse osmosis systems at home for our drinking water, which, by the way, looks nothing like this. Uh, but when our water comes in from the street, you know, we get the city water, it passes through three filters before it gets into our glass. All right, I think if you run this question, what is the wise thing to do through these three filters? You will know what is wise. And, uh, and again, I, I want to give Andy Stanley credit for these because they come right out of his book. These are so good, he's right on with the first one, in light of my past experience, what is the wise thing to do? How do I know what's wise? I think about this filter, my past experience, for a few moments. Um, a young man was appointed president of a bank, and uh, he was intimidated by all the new responsibilities. It was freaking him out, and so he called up this guy and went to lunch with his older, retired predecessor who used to be president of the bank, and he said, sir, what has been the secret of your success? And the former president of the bank said, the secret young man, two words, right decisions. Well, the younger guy asked, okay, okay, but how do you make right decisions? And the older guy said, one word, experience. And the young man said, okay, but how do you get experience? And the old man smiled and said, two words, wrong decisions. <laughs> All right, you've heard the axiom, those who cannot repeat the past are condemned, uh, remember the past, are condemned to repeat it. We've all heard that, right? We could restate it. Those who don't pay attention to what got them in trouble yesterday are likely to end up in the same trouble again tomorrow. Your past tells you a lot about you and a lot about your blind spots. You know, if you're like me, you are very likely a sucker for something, right? Your past tells you about your temptations and your addictions and your attractions. And here's why this is important and why I said kids need rules but adults need wisdom. Because what's okay for everybody else might have to be off limits for you. Think about that. What is perfectly acceptable within the, the rules for everybody else you know, your family, your friends, your coworkers, uh, the people in your small group you go to church with, that might be a pathway to something destructive for you. And you know how you'll know that? Your past experience. What something might be legal or even right, it would not be wise for you in light of your past experience. You have places you shouldn't go, and you have people you should not spend time with, and uh, some of us have credit cards we should not carry around. You will not choose wisely if you don't know your past. The second filter, in light of my current circumstances. What's the wise thing to do? That's my second one. Current circumstances. I don't know about you, but most of the apologies I have to make, I have to make because of my response or my reaction to a moment happening around me. And when somebody uh, uh, notices that the moment passes, when I have it brought up to me, I realize I hurt someone, I overreacted, and because I was mad or because I was worried or because I was irritated, the wise thing to do would have been to do nothing and just wait 24 hours. But rather than paying attention to my current circumstances, which was angry, 
or frustrated or worried. I chose to ignore my current circumstances, what was going on in my head or my heart. Wisdom asks, what is happening around me right now or in me, in me right now that is affecting me and what I might decide to say or do? One of the things that I get to do in my job here is, is, is talk with people who are going through whatever circumstance, current circumstance they're going through. And among the many things that we might talk about, one of the current circumstances that a lot of people are going through is divorce. Um, by the way, just real quick, I hope that we're a church that can not only try to help you make your marriage work when it's not working, but, but also can come alongside you when you've decided to divorce and, and help you in the aftermath of that. You, you've probably heard about divorce care announcement over the past few weeks. We've been talking about it, and, uh, and that's one way we try to do that, but, but there's more. If you are divorcing or divorced, we care deeply about you. We want to be here for you in the middle of all of that. Anyway, I will meet with people. And I realize there are no rules for what decisions somebody should make in the aftermath of a divorce. But generally speaking, the advice that I give to people is to not jump into a relationship with a new person for at least a year after that divorce is legal. And I give that advice because I've just noticed people are rarely ready for a new relationship as quickly as they think they are. There's usually some healing that needs to happen and there's usually some rebuilding that needs to happen, and there's almost always a need to find yourself again, like who you are when you're without the person that you were with for a long time. So I advise people, take your time. Wait a year, and not from the day that you were separated or the day that your spouse moved out. I mean the day you were officially divorced, which I realize in California takes a while. And, and some people hear me give them that advice, and they go, well, okay, you don't understand how I need another person in my life. You, you don't understand how lonely I am or how wonderful the man or the woman that I just met is. And, and I don't pass judgment. One, because we don't do that here at Crosswinds. Two, because this is not a right or a wrong. There's no rule in the Bible demanding that you wait a year after a divorce to date somebody. It's a matter of wise. Wait a year because in light of your current circumstances, it's the wise thing to do. I don't know anyone who took a year off from dating after a divorce and later said, eh, bad move. I know a lot of people who got married a second time too quick and regretted it. In light of my current circumstances, which might be heartbroken, which might be trying to pick up the pieces, my current circumstance might be figuring out who I am without that former toxic relationship. In light of my current circumstance, is it wise to start seeing somebody else right now. We all have different current circumstances. I don't know yours, but, but even right now as I bring this up, you know yours, your financial challenges, your physical health, your current stress level. You can be asking in light of those things, what is the wise thing to do? Okay, third filter. In light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing? Future hopes and dreams. You have something that you are planning, something you are so excited about. You've got something you feel called to. Starting a new business, fostering a child, moving away, running for office, retiring, going back to school. We've all got something in the future, short-term or distant future. In light of those hopes and dreams, what would be wise a few years ago, uh, there was a woman who often posted photos of herself on social media, photos always standing in front of different signs, 
always doing the opposite of what the sign said, which is kind of a funny idea. Uh, they were usually harmless, you know, smoking in front of no smoking signs, things like that, until she took a picture at Arlington National Cemetery uh, at the Tomb of the Unknowns. And she stood in front of a sign that said silence and respect, and she pretended to scream, and she flipped the bird. Um, so she posted this picture to Facebook without realizing her mobile uh, uploads were set to public instead of to just the people who were her friends. And a few weeks later, someone out there who was a stranger to her found the photo, which led to a popular Facebook page called Fire and then this woman's name, which led to news crews outside her home covering the story, lots of attention, which led to her immediately getting fired from her job working with developmentally disabled adults. Now, however you feel about that and, and, and whether a person should lose their job for doing something stupid unrelated to their job, what I'll tell you, she had a very hard time for a long period trying to find a job in the field she spent so much time preparing for, the field she felt called to, the thing that she had dreamed about doing with her life was now at great risk. Okay, the unwise decisions we make sometimes affect our future hopes and dreams. And wisdom says, what is the choice that I'm about to make? Like, what impact will it have on my future? Okay, put all three of those together. In light of my past experience, current circumstances, my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do? And, and when you think about the decision you have to make, in light of those three things, I think what's wise becomes a lot clearer, easier to answer, crosswinds. Do not settle for what is legal, permissible, acceptable, tolerable, for what won't put you in jail. If you do, you're going to find yourself living close to the line, the line of regret. You're better than that. You deserve better than that. Your family deserves better than that. And whether or not you've asked this question before, what's the wise thing to do? You can begin asking it right now. Imagine how different your life might look a year from now if this question was a part of your decision-making process going forward. Ask it. In light of my past experience, current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing? All right, will you stand with me? Let's pray together before we go. God, how wonderful is it that you are a God who does not just call us to following the rules, but gives us something greater to aspire to, wisdom. God, that, that, that while so many in our world live according to a system of just rules and rules only, you ask us to think beyond that. What is wise and how great is it that you put this thing in those of us who've chosen to follow you called the Holy Spirit to help us know what wisdom looks like. The same thing that causes attention we should pay attention to becomes a thing that helps us know what wisdom looks like. And so, God, I ask that the Holy Spirit would be speaking loudly to us, not just this week, but, but forever. God, that you would help us look at our, our past experiences, our current circumstances, our hopes and our dreams, and know what you would have us do. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for coming today. We'll see you next week.